Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where Catholic truth is served fresh daily. We've made you a reservation in the luxurious corner booth, so come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzezemski. Greetings and welcome to the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff, sitting in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. I've got Thomas Patrick Dorian here, Hello, roll call, and i got Ziggy Rodriguez. Here I am. All right, so glad to have you guys here, and uh, this is a wonderful feast of our church yes. that we find ourselves gathered together here, um, and this is like the uh, the feast of eternal food. It's not what it's called, <laughs> right, just so people are clear, but we have like some food here. It's just not eternal. We what? have donuts. And I have a jar of Nutella, I can't believe they just let me order this. Yeah, so anything. Yeah, well, we, you know, Father Ben Bradshaw is our head chef. Oh, that's true. At the Catholic Nutella Cafe, freak. and so Nutella freak. He is he'll, what he he'll is. He'll mix some jelly, some gummy beans, gummy bears in there. Yeah, exactly well. right. Nutella gummy bears. That's probably his favorite. But we we are we're here celebrating the solemnity of the Most Holy Body and Blood of Christ. And I love this feast. Uh, just you know, it's the kind of thing like when you're watching a movie or whatever. When someone, you know, when Hollywood tries to be quintessentially Catholic. They, there's one or two things, one of two things that, that they will show in their movie. It's either going to be a rosary, right, or Eucharist in some form or fashion. So uh, it's it's quintessentially who we are as Catholics, right? And so the the body and blood of Christ, and we, we I don't want to go through all the theology of it. I mean, we don't have enough time to do that. Um, uh, and, and actually, we have several shows in the Catholic Cafe that you can go and find in our archives, as it were. And uh, and we'd love for you to look at uh, what we've done, but we want to talk about a, a particularly uh, interesting concept related uh, to uh, to the feast of the body and blood. But but the idea and the understanding of viaticum, mm. uh, which is a church thing or a Catholic thing, and and if you use your trustworthy uh, uh, Google and go and look <laughs> at what uh, what we're told viaticum is. Right, so I think this comes from the Oxford Dictionary. So we'll give credit where credit is due. Uh, they say the Eucharist as given to a person near or in danger of death. And so we've heard of that, most of us, and and a lot of people will tie that to last rites, right? Because it's 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 part of the uh, uh, it's part of the last rites. So along with with penance and and anointing of the sick, or what they used to call extreme unction, um, the viaticum or Eucharist. Is I mean it's food for the journey, mm-hmm. and if you look at the the word viaticum, right? It's it's based on the 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 Latin via, which basically just means road. Yeah. So we're on the we're on the road to eternal life, and uh, and so uh, so the the priest gives you viaticum uh, as you're near death. We'll say it that way. So that's um, pretty cool. By the way, it it is it is something that's cool, and and. Uh, and I think that uh, uh, one of the things I wanted to talk about today was like how we should live our life and whether because a lot of people will think like, "Hey, do you want viaticum?" And someone's like, "Are you saying I'm getting ready to die?" Yeah. And and how we choose to live our life, and so we kind of wanted to focus on that a little bit, mm-hmm. how we choose to live our life now, uh, and maybe suggest the possibility that we uh, we evaluate our life in such a way. That we realize that we are all near death. Mm-hmm. I mean, when it comes down to it, we don't. We should live every day as if it's our last day on this earth, right? 
theoretically. Yeah. Right? Life is fragile by its very nature. Yeah. So, uh, so, so should we not start thinking in terms of viaticum for ourselves? Mm-hmm. Now, not as part of the last rites. So don't call your priest up and say, well, Deacon Jeff said that you should come <laughs> over and give me a last rite. <laughs> it's like, Marge, why did you call me? <laughs> you are healthy as a horse. You don't need viaticum. But I'm just saying that the state of mind. Yeah. Right, the state of mind that we live in, and understanding life is fragile. Understanding that to, today could be the last day. This next breath could be my last breath. Then I want to make sure that I'm prepared for that journey into eternal life. And so, when we receive Eucharist, maybe that's the mindset mm. that we should start thinking in terms of. So, anyway, it's just an interesting, uh, an profound. interesting, yeah, an interesting take on it. Um, th- there's something else I wanted to mention since w- here we are in, in, in uh, depending on when you're listening to this program, um, you um, this is also a year in which this uh, solemnity, this beautiful solemnity of the most holy body and blood of Christ falls on D-Day. Mm-hmm. It falls on uh, uh, June the 6th. And so just want to talk about that for a second. And I just, I I find it interesting sometimes to make comparisons to where we are in time and space, right? And where the church is and and what these feasts represent. And I just think a profound connection can be made between those soldiers. And by the way, uh, those who are in military service and those who have uh, those who are in military service who have uh, given their last full measure, as it were, who died uh, for this great country. Uh, Thank you so much for your service. Um, and, uh, and, and, and so those folks, uh, especially like at World War II, who went through D-Day, mm-hmm. right, um, essentially gave their, at least offered, if they survived, that's beautiful, but if not, they gave their body and blood, right, to free us from tyranny, mm-hmm. right? For our freedom, they gave their body and blood, and so... While I don't always like to make military comparisons to the church, um, but the church militant, right, are those that live today, you know, essentially uh, fighting the devil, fighting the good fight uh, to be in heaven. And uh, and so um, that's an ancient term of the church, the church militant. So what did Jesus give, right? He gave his body and blood mm-hmm. for freedom, for us from sin and death, mm-hmm. right? So there's there's a, a beautiful uh, uh, connection uh, that I think, and so we continue in Eucharist to receive Jesus in an unbloody way. That sacrifice, that one sacrifice, we continue to receive in an unbloody way, which is different than the blood, right, of those uh, you know in Normandy and elsewhere on D Day. The only thing about D Day that, that I'm bothered by is the fact that. You know, when you look up what the D stands for, does anybody know? It stands for day. What? Yes. So it's day, day. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. So I I don't know, but it's the military operation name was D-Day, and it wasn't for destruction or destroy, whatever it's like. Or or dachshund. No. (laughs) It's for day. It's like the day. What is the day? Everything was top secret. You know what day I'm talking about, right? Yeah, yeah. So this is like D. It's D Day. So look it up, and I promise you, there is no D doesn't stand for anything but day. So mm. technically, it's D Day. It's Day Day. So <laughs> I don't know how that goes. Uh, but um, that that comparison, uh, you know, while D Day took place some 77 years ago, um, 
every day from 2,000 years ago to today, Jesus has offered his body and blood, you know, soul and divinity for our freedom from sin and, and death. And, and essentially, it's just a beautiful notion. And all of this to say, it, 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 hopefully it will help us to uh, maybe reevaluate how it is that we receive Holy Communion. Mm-hmm. What is our mindset? What are we thinking when we receive Holy Communion? Are we checking a box? Are we doing the thing that Catholics do? Are we showing up at Mass like we're supposed to? Are we meeting our obligations? Uh, you know, and even if we're doing the right thing and making sure that, that we've gone to confession ahead of time and that we're prepared, and these are, these are good things, but do we really fully not only comprehend and understand, but embrace what the Church teaches about Eucharist? Mm. That's a challenge. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't, I don't, I mean, I, I need to be reminded uh, of that sacrifice that Jesus made for me. And that's why I think it's healthy and helpful to compare to D Day. <laughs> you know, that the fact that we live in freedom because of what those uh, men and women did way back then, uh, almost 80 years ago, and what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. For us is is a is a powerful thing, so so some just some uh, we'll say food for thought. Oh yeah, you know eternal food for thought uh, in all of this, but it also so let's go back to the viaticum part. Um, you know the the an archaic use of that term viaticum uh, that uh, where that definition comes to us from the church is a supply of provisions or an official allowance of money for a journey. Mm. Right, so so think in terms of viaticum, so Eucharist that you receive at or near death, or in danger of death, and that's food for the journey. But if you live your life that way, if you stop and think that like today could be my last day, I'm not trying to be doom and gloom here. Right, just realistic about um, the fact that we are human. Sam, you mentioned that we're fragile. Right. So how how do you like when when you receive Eucharist? I mean, how do you view the action of receiving Eucharist? What what do you what do you what is your mindset? Well, my mindset largely is uh, well two things. One um, that there's an offering that I'm able to participate in. There's a sacrifice of the Mass, and I'm able to offer up my participation in that sacrifice for certain intentions. Um, so that is definitely a part of it as well. But I would say the the central focus is the incarnational dimension. Jesus promised us that he would be with us always until the end of time, and that is most that's fulfilled in a variety of ways. But I think especially in the most holy Eucharist, and it's when I receive the Eucharist that I'm able to receive Christ being incarnated in me. And really allow him, what I, my focus is, I really try, I might come in with my own intentions, but I try to really surrender them at the feet of God mm-hmm. and really try to be in union with Christ that I'm really offering up these prayer intentions in the name of Jesus there that Christ within me is uniting with me and we're, we are uh, offering prayers of blessing over those persons who are on my heart, for example, when I'm offering yeah. up the mass for this or that particular person, and and so that is is largely my focus is just it's a that real tangible way of uh, being awake to the reality that Christ is within me and He is. 
praying to the Father for me, and he is working within me for the glory of the Father and the good of others and of myself. Amen. And it's transformative. Yes. Right? So we're going to talk about more about the transformative part of this, uh, what we're receiving. Um, when we come back, we're going to take a short break. Uh, but before we take that break, I want to remind folks at home, we got a great website, thecatholiccafe.com. Also, I'd love to hear from you. Send me an email, deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. And like us on Facebook, on Instagram, and Twitter. Like and share our posts and comment on them. It makes a difference. And with that, we'll be <laughs> right back. I'm Bess Drzymski, and this is another great moment in church history. Claire Oferduccio was born in 1194, the daughter of a count and countess. When only 18 years old, she heard the preaching of St. Francis of Assisi and was moved to follow the way of the Franciscan brothers and vow herself to a life of poverty, forsaking all the worldly comforts that her family could offer her. She gave herself totally to God, her eternal spouse. Upon the insistence of her friend St. Francis, St. Clair founded the Order of Poor Ladies, later called the Poor Clares. The Poor Clares lived a life of extreme austerity and of absolute poverty. Instead of beds, they slept on twigs with blankets of hemp. The old walls and ceilings were laden with cracks, and the cold and wet weather seeped through. They relied totally on God's generosity to survive. They devoted themselves to prayer in silence. St. Clair's love of the Eucharist was well known. She looked to the presence of Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament as her dearest love. She found great strength in receiving our Lord in Holy Communion and spent many an hour in Eucharistic adoration. Referring to adoration of the Blessed Sacrament, St. Clair said, Gaze upon Him, consider Him, contemplate Him as you desire to imitate Him. And she took her own advice to heart. Of St. Clair, Pope John Paul the Great said, Her whole life was a Eucharist, because from her cloister, she raised up continual thanksgiving to God in her prayer, praise, supplication, intercession, weeping, offering, and sacrifice. There are many miracles associated with St. Clair. Tradition tells of an attack from hordes of Saracen mercenaries who were advancing on the convent. She displayed a monstrance containing the Blessed Sacrament and prayed intently before it. Suddenly and inexplicably, the Saracens retreated. Later in her life, her health began to seriously fail. On Christmas Eve, she was not able to attend Holy Mass at the newly constructed Basilica of St. Francis. Instead, God permitted St. Clair to see the entire Mass in a clear and perfect vision on the wall of her small cell. It's no wonder that for this miracle, she was named the patroness of television. Just before dawn on August the 11th, in the year 1253, St. Clair, foundress of the poor Clares, passed quietly into the welcoming arms of Jesus. I'm Bess Drozimski, and this has been another great moment in church history. Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. 
And we're back in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff, sitting here talking with Ziggy Rodriguez. That's me. And Thomas Dorian. Present. Yes, and we are, uh, we're, we're just kind of talking about uh, the most holy body and blood of Christ, a beautiful solemnity of the church, and just talking about how we receive. And I think we've made a comparison to what the church teaches about viaticum. Uh, and a lot of people are like, well, I don't need viaticum. I'm not dying. It's like, well, you have heard the old expression, from the moment you're born, you begin to die. That's right. Kind of a, kind of a pessimistic uh, way of looking at things, I think. I, I, but um, but it, I think true. spiritually healthy for us to realize that, as Sam says, life is fragile. Well, there's also there's a link I think we can make between the fact that Paul, in the time of the the uh, the apostles, in the earliest days of the church, they saw the end of the end times as being upon them then. And you know, we can we can read it one way and say, aha, they just didn't realize how long you know the church would have to wait for Jesus's return. Um, another way to look at it is that we have always been in the end times ever since yeah. Christ left, and you know it's always the end in some way, and that the earth, you know, heaven and earth will die away, but my words will not fade away. We're all in the process of dying. You know, so and then speak. another way to look at it is some of us wish it'd get here right now. <laughs> <laughs> that would Jesus, be nice. Come back. That would fix a lot of stuff. But uh, I, I wanted to look through the catechism here just for a second and look at numbers uh, 1524 and 1525 in the catechism, which, which addresses viaticum. Mm. A couple little short par- paragraphs uh, that say, in addition to the anointing of the sick, the church offers those who are about to leave this life, the Eucharist is viaticum. Communion in the body and blood of Christ received at this moment of passing over to the Father has a particular significance and importance. It is the seed of eternal life and the power of resurrection. According to the words of the Lord, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day. The sacrament of Christ once dead and now risen, the Eucharist is here, the sacrament of passing over from death to life from this world to the Father. Then it goes on in paragraph 1525. Thus, just as the sacraments of baptism, confirmation, and the Eucharist form a unity called the sacraments of Christian initiation, so too it can be said that penance, the anointing of the sick, and the Eucharist as viaticum constitute at the end of Christian life the sacraments that prepare for our heavenly homeland or the sacraments that complete the earthly pilgrimage. And I just think that's... Profound, and we should stop and think about because you can ask yourself a question and say, um, you know, are we are we not in the all in the process of passing over to the Father? Right. Right. Are we are we not all um, thinking in terms of um, uh, this this idea that uh, the the sacraments preparing for our heavenly homeland? I mean, are we are we not? looking to go to our heavenly homeland. And that's why I always think that, like, well, maybe how I receive Eucharist, if I'm receiving with this idea that this could be my last, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it changes the way that I receive. You know, I heard one time uh, a priest in, in our diocese, Father Ed Fisher, uh, wonderful homilist, very, very simple and straightforward a lot of times in his approach. That's right. And he was breaking down the Our Father in a homily. And he just stopped right there at Our Father Who Art in Heaven. And he wasn't rapping the Our Father. Was he he <laughs> no. said breaking down. I just oh, wanted. Oh <laughs> yes, no. I mean, there was a little beatboxing, but like no. Uh, <laughs> but as he did the Our Father Who Art in Heaven, he just stopped and he said, 
okay, if he's our father, that means that home is where our father is. Where's our father? He's in heaven. He's not here. What does that mean? Here is not our home. We are not home. And he just like just sat there in silence to let that sink in. And that's so powerful and so profound. And I think he said it. Uh, I don't want to reach into his mind and try to figure it out, but it makes sense to me that um, that we need to hear that. Yes. We need to be reminded of the fact that our home is not here. Uh, and that's what this passage in 1525 in the Catechism says that, you know, um, talking about the sacraments that prepare for our heavenly homeland. We get confused a lot of times on our pilgrimage when we start thinking about this being our destination or trying to find our salvation here on earth. And this could be including with... Uh, This is a temptation for anybody. It can be a temptation for someone who's a bishop or a cardinal who says, gee, my position in the church is my salvation. No, that's really dangerous. It doesn't matter what walk of life you are. You always have to be grounded in the fact that this is not our home. This is not the end. All of this is pointing to heaven, and that's where we need to keep our focus. You've obviously had a lot of bad encounters with cardinals and bishops, because I've never heard (laughs) one say that, but... In defense of our cardinals and bishops, but you're right. We should never look at whatever our station in life is. Yes. I mean, as the end goal. No, right. Never. It's, it can't be the end goal. So what you're saying is, we always need to be, especially in the church, we need to be looking. I mean, everything should be pointing to heaven. Which really, in in the 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 mediator between heaven and earth is Jesus. Yes. So everything points to Jesus, who's leading us to heaven or beckoning us to heaven now even if we and, and another thing comes to mind it just sort of matters of provision how easy is it for us to get caught up and saying i don't have what i need you know if only i had this if only i had that if god really loved me he'd give me blank well he if we take what you just read he gives us himself yeah there's nothing he is our provision and there's nothing that that compares to the value of that but i think a lot of times we, we, in this consumer culture of ours, it, we our, our, our understanding of how to value things gets twisted and out of proportion, and God is the source of all value. Amen. And, and how many times do we forget the fact that church is not a place that we, uh, that we go on Sundays, right? It's not the destination. And I know that sounds weird. You should go to church on Sundays. Yeah. And really, every day, if you're thinking about uh, this... this uh, uh, this Eucharist, day. right? Exactly, but but the, but the point is, the destination is not church. No, right? In fact, the church is on pilgrimage, and we're reminded every time we've heard that third Eucharistic Eucharistic prayer. I mean, there's a passage in there that specifically says, "Be pleased to confirm in faith and charity your pilgrim church on earth, mm. right? With your uh, servant Francis, our Pope, David, or whoever your bishop is, the order of bishops, all the clergy, and the entire people you've gained for your own." We're all on this journey, right? That's what that's what fifteen twenty five in, in the Catechism says at the, that very last line: uh, the sacraments that complete the earthly pilgrimage. Mm-hmm. So if we live our lives, so now now the question then becomes, right? Um, do you live life as a pilgrim? Do you live your life as a pilgrim? And if so, are you on pilgrimage? And if so, where are you going? Mm-hmm. Right. So, uh, again, going back to our Oxford Dictionary, right. cracking that, that puppy open, uh, a pilgrim is a person who journeys to a sacred place for religious reasons. I mean, that, they're breaking it down in a very simple way. 
and w- the most common uh, definition of pilgrim. Because even like the you know that we talk about the pilgrims that we that we we draw pictures of every Thanksgiving, you know, and take mm-hmm. a little macaroni and glue it onto construction paper. That's my the, favorite artistic I know, medium. <laughs> I know it is. Uh, you know, uh, and think like, well, how is that a pilgrimage? Because they fled religious persecution, so they were they were fleeing to religious freedom. Yeah. So they were going to a sacred and holy place, right in their in their mind. So they were pilgrims. They were on a pilgrimage, um, and and we too should be living our life as if we were pilgrims. And every pilgrim then is going to need some kind of provision, right? We need to fill up our uh, our Mayflower, as it were. And be and be stored up with lots of fruits and vegetables and whatever we need for this pilgrimage that we're making on our way uh, to heaven. Now I can't help but think of John Wayne. Listen here, pilgrim. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now now you get Tom excited. Don't get me started. <laughs> he he Don't loves get me started. He loves John Wayne. That's what uh, I call my kids. He, Pilgrims. <laughs> All right, good. Pilgrims. That's yeah. great. That's great. Well, we yeah. need to be reminded that we are on pilgrimage. Yep. And so what that should do uh, on this feast of the most holy, uh, I should say the solemnity of the most, most holy body and blood of Christ, is I just, I want you that as you approach, as you approach the Eucharist at Mass, so whether you're extending your hands or extending your tongue, Right, presenting yourself for Holy Communion, what what is your mindset? Are you a pilgrimage? How are you receiving? Not not technically how are you receiving? What is your state the state of your mind, the state of your heart? What do you believe? What do you know to be true? And what are you asking God? And we're not talking about when we talk about this uh this food for the journey, it's not only uh nourishment, like literally nourishment for our in Incarnational bodies, mm-hmm. our physical flesh. It's more than that. It's spiritual food, right? Jesus is spiritual food. What part of our soul is starving, and what is it really starving for? And when we so when we approach Holy Communion, we need to be pilgrims. We need to to recognize uh, what what where we are in the world, where we are on our journey, and most importantly, what Jesus is offering us. As food. And this is a good reason to go every day, you know. It's not just for Sunday anymore, the Eucharist. Amen. (laughs) Give us this day our daily bread. So the feast of or the solemnity of the most holy body and blood of Christ, it's a beautiful, beautiful uh, feast day, and let's celebrate it in that way. And let's ask the mother of the most holy Eucharist, the mother of the blessed sacrament, Mary herself, to pray for us on this journey. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy, Holy Mary, Mary, Mother of God, God pray, pray for, for us sinners, sinners now at the hour of our death. death. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send him an email at deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. Visit us on the web at thecatholiccafe.com. You can also find us on iTunes or follow us on Facebook and Twitter. The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association. Join us again at the Catholic Cafe, serving up salvation one cup of coffee at a time.